name's Sid Garza Hillman, and this is what I think. Yes, I'm deep in the world of ultra running because of my book. I'm not going to apologize for it. However, going to say this, finished a race last week. If you recall, unless you're listening to this for the first time, I was signed up for the Lake Sonoma 55K. I did the math on it, 32 miles. Um, and it was um, it was interesting. I'm going to talk about it today as a metaphor for life, ultra running as a metaphor for life. And essentially that's kind of what the book touches on, but I'm not going, this is not a sell of a book. I'm just talking about this experience I had. People who are not ultra runners, that's most of us, by the way, including me really technically, um, are you know potentially gonna find this interesting because it's the bigger picture of my approach and the things I talk about. So just bear with me, will you? You come here for wisdom. You come here for the kind of knowledge that you can't find anywhere else. I get it, I'm here to deliver. Here's the first one. Here's a little nugget for you guys for free. When you show up to a race that's 32 miles, you're gonna, and it's starting at 6 a.m., and you're gonna be out there for a long time, more on that later, make sure that your shorts you're wearing have the drawstring that allows those shorts to not fall down while you're running, again, I'll give you a moment. You want to write that down. Get a little note in the old notepad, virtual, whatever, on the cloud, sure, whatever, pen on paper. Make sure you have a drawstring in your shorts so they don't fall down. Here's what I didn't do. I did not do that. And I arrived to the race and uh, did not have, looked down. I mean, I'm not even kidding. Put, actually, it was I found out at the house, I was staying at my brother's house, got up in the morning, put the shorts on, I went, oh, for the love of God. Thought to myself at 4.30, ah, it'll be fine. And that's what I thought to myself. Ah, it'll be fine. So part of the thing about ultra running is self-knowledge. Okay, so just can it, you put yourself out there, you, you learn things. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna, you know, chalk this up to a learning experience. So I show up to the race, Sid, you guys have heard about her over the years, my training partner. She's there volunteering, not running. The whole idea was that I was going to run this race with Sid and Bree. We were a little team, buddies. We were committed to running it, finishing it together. Sid couldn't do it because of a surgery or whatever. I don't want, you know what. And then Bree couldn't do it because she wasn't ready for it. So there I was by myself facing down a race that I figured was going to be challenging because they all are. And boy, whew, was I surprised in not a good way. However, my pants were falling down. So I'm going, I'll go to sit. I go, what am I going to do about this? Right? So I use those little teeny Lilliputian freaking size safety pins that they use to, to pin your bib on. And I'm trying to do that. And they're so small. And they're not, at that size, by the way, just another bit of, uh, of wisdom. At that size of safety pin, they're dangerous at that small. You can't not poke yourself with a safety pin that's the size of nothing. So you can't already. So I was hooking it to places that it was n nothing. Later, I devised a plan at one of the aid stations, which was to use duct tape to somehow cinch up the waistband because what was happening is I would run up, I would be up hills, no problem. Downhills, the pounding, shorts coming down, f pants falling down. Now at mile one, it's mildly annoying. I, you know, it's, I'd feel them slip down and then I'd yank them up right side 
all right side. I don't know why. Right side. Pull it up. Okay. My ass is kind of, it was like, is, is my ass, do I feel the elements? That was the whole, like, if, do I, does my ass feel the elements? And if so, then I would cinch up the, the shorts. But mile 29, <clears throat> it's a super fucking annoying. And it's not a thing that is like funnily annoying. It's like murderous annoying. And again, so learning, uh, learning curve there. So just show up and make sure your pants don't fall down. Again, these, you don't learn any things anywhere else, but here. So I'm going to talk about the race and I'm going to talk about it in context of challenges, training, fear, stress, uh, the whole shebang. My book, quick side note here, is now in the promotion phase, which I've done this a few times now. This is as hard as writing the book, in my opinion. Now, I have no social media, as you know. So my challenge that I always make to myself is, can I make this a bestseller, potentially, without social media? Okay? All, all, all eyes are saying, all, 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 all votes are no. But I, hey, on that note, I uh, was asked to become on a podcast with a guy named, not kidding, one of the greatest names ever, Tyson Popplestone. I'm not joking. Tyson Popplestone. Now, his podcast, Pop Culture. Get it? Pop Popplestone. He said, he goes, yeah, some people don't understand that. And I go, yeah, <laughs> I didn't. That I missed that too. And I said, oh, yeah, was it idiots? They don't get that reference. <laughs> Pop Culture podcast with Tyson Popplestone. Link in the show notes cool guy but in that and we hit it off he's a comedian in australia super cool great guy so we hit it off there but then we started talking about the, the ultra running and the book and everything and he goes you know i have a separate podcast called relax running podcast i was like that's right up my alley and so i just did that too i'll announce when that goes live so he had me on two podcasts anyway so we're i'm just direct to trying to sell the book on a way in a way that's not relying on social media i think it can be done you know who didn't have social media just shakespeare mm. And those guys were fine. The title of this episode is called The Pain of Intention. Now, the, the reason why I'm calling it The Pain of Intention is because I, I make no bones about the fact that when you stretch yourself, when you put yourself out there, there is stress associated with that, sometimes actual pain. Um, on paper for this race, severely undertrained on paper. If you looked at my running, people go, oh, you must run it. I think the most miles I ran in a week, and it happened once, was 15. 15, not 50, 15. Usually it was in the 10 to 12 range, tops. Now I threw, look, threw in some strength training twice a week. I do a lot of breath work. So again, in the bigger picture of health and happiness, this is the baseline. There's a chapter in my book, one of the lessons called Always Be in Training. It's sort of the cell is to pay attention to multiple aspects of your life, multiple facets of your life. And so, uh, in fact, it's so cool. I got a text yesterday from a client, a, a running client who also did the small step intensive, by the way. He goes, finished a half marathon faster than his goal time. R ready for this? Guess how much fast? 30 minutes faster, 30 minutes faster than his goal time. 30. Do you know how massive that is? That's like a lot of goal time you know stuff 30 minutes he goes quote it's what happens when you don't overtrain see that was what i taught him he, and he said you should write a book about it he was, he was joking because i did not overtraining so what we do is we go i want to do this thing and we partition that 
uh, a t- that challenge into this w- space that is that is not connected to any other parts of our lives. Running the race is the th- is the thing now, and it's in its own little box, and it's not connected to how we sleep, and it's not connected to our jobs, and it's not connected to our families, and it's not to get connected to how we feed ourselves. And we follow a training plan, and we beat the shit out of ourselves because we're not putting it in its proper place in the context of everything else going on in our lives. I'm a big sell, a big proponent of selling this idea of training in multiple areas all the time. Do you need to increase running a little bit if you're training for a running race? Yes, of course. Of co- I'm not going to sit here and say you don't have to run. Of course you do. However, on that note, I finished a 32-mile race and if you had if anybody had looked at my training, they'd be like, oh dude, you're gonna, you're not gonna, your pants are gonna fall down. And they'd be right. I'm just saying they also would say there's no way you're finishing that race. And I did. Now, did I finish it fast? No. So not fast that I can't even tell you, but I will tell you because it was a mental slog. I mean, I did not look part of my thing is I don't like to know much about the course before I run it. That's just a thing that I do. I show up with a bottle of water, by the way, nothing else. Now in the early days, the first few um, races I ran, I had the backpack full of, I didn't even, I might've even had an Airstream camper in my back. I was so well equipped with band-aids and socks and extra drink powder and gels and uh, this and then extra shirt and a drop bag. And this time, and the last couple of just water, bam. And then just whatever else comes up at the aid stations. Here was my fatal, but not fatal, but here was my near fatal flaw. I, I show up, I have a smoothie at 5 a.m. Not just some fruit. That's what I always do. It's fine. It treats me fine. Hour later, start the race, 6 a.m. I show up to the first aid station, mile six. Now already I'm going, oh no, because there's no flat land at all. You're either going way up or pounding your ass on the way down. That was just constant. It would not end. I was like, please, can I have a, can I have a sidewalk once? Just, just a sidewalk. Can I have a mall? Can I have the upstairs at a mall? Get to first aid station. Here's what they say. Ready? I come up. Water only. Water only. Let me say it again. Water only. Now I'm in the race already. Now it's 32 miles and I've only gone six. So I'm not in it, in it. But the next aid station is not for another seven miles. Seven, meaning 13 miles in of total hills. By the time I reached the second aid station, it's been over four hours with any calories at all. And the smoothie I had was like 190 calories. It was one of those like odd wallet kind of things. It was mango, if you're wondering. Um, and so I was, whew, closest I've ever been to dropping from a race was that moment. And I came up to that aid station and there was a guy there I'm going to give him props. His name's Angus. Save me. Saw him at a later race station, and I go, dude, you saved me. And I gave him props to the uh, race director, who's my buddy, Skip Brand, who who wrote the forward to the book, by the way. See, it's all in the family. Anyway, Angus, who I didn't know at the time, come, sees me walking up the thing, dying. And I'm like out of my head. I can't, I'm, I'm just on the verge of not being able to think straight. I'm certainly feeling energy-wise like... Just the energy. I was the embodiment of the 1970s energy crisis. That's just not a lot. People lining up at gas stations because there's just tanks are running out. And I scared the shit out of me as a kid, by the way. If you're a kid that was born in the 60s and you survived the energy crisis of the 70s, you're a stronger but possibly weaker person for it. He sees my the look on my face and he goes, okay, okay, come over here. I'm going to get you some Coke. Now, he didn't mean cocaine, although it's plant-based, and I probably would have done it. At that point, I would have done anything. But he comes up with a little cup of Coke. I mean, not even a half a cup of Coke. 
I drink that. I grab a handful of orange slices-ish. Not well sliced, by the way. Come on, guy. Can we wedge them out? Do we need little quarter-sized pieces of orange? I'm dying here. I need to have a bite that's worthy of a bite. I drink the Coke. I'm eating the oranges. And I think to myself, if this doesn't change, and I mean lickety split, I'm so out of here. Because the thing is, at mile 13, that's you're in deep at this point. But I've got almost 20, yeah, more miles to run. So it's not a, okay, now it's all downhill from here, figuratively and literally. Like, I'm not a halfway, mo- halfway point, right? And so it's just the mental drain. But not 10 minutes later, I kind of go, eh, all right. Energy came back. I grabbed some candy and just put it in my pocket. I was like, I'm not going to the next. Now, it happened one more time in the race. I got to the A station. I was like, all right, give me some. They're like, it's water only. I was like, for the love of all that's holy. And they said, well, the next agents is like two and a half miles. I was like, all right, fine. I hate you, but I'll do it. I kind of had to play catch up the whole rest of the time. I did drink Coke at every Coke and just emotionally. It was like, you are my friend and you're going to help me through this. I was just, you get in that weird space of like, this worked one time and it's 100% going to work every other time because of superstition, because of the laws of superstition. And I finished the race. Here's, wait for it. Now I've done... A few 50Ks, I'm always in about the seven to nine hour realm, hovering seven to eight, some to dip in. My own race that I run the day before the race and stop on occasion to mark, to do some extra marking, always under nine hours. This one, 10 hours and 40 minutes. 10 hours, and f- there were people running the 100K distance that were passing me, no problem. 10 hours and 40 minutes. Now, that was brutal. And by the way, 80%, and I'm not exaggerating, of that time, at least, was me on a trail by myself. And I mean by myself, not just, oh, other runners you didn't know. No, no, actual by myself going, boy, I hope I see a marker soon. Otherwise, I'd think I'm lost. And then I'd see a marker and go, oh, thank God. It was really well marked. Thank God. Every time I was worried about that, there would be a marker. I'd go, oh, Skip, you're a genius. So 10 hours and 40 minutes. My buddy Sid came running in. About a mile, mile and a half left, she came running in because she thought, guess what, that I was way lost. She was like, I don't even, I got to go find him. And I wasn't lost, and she saw me, and I had this smile on my face like, this was ridiculous. <laughs> it got it got to the point where it was, commi- it, I, I wish I, I could probably, I'll, I'll post the ending. I have it, she videoed me finishing. It was, it was comedic. It got to the point, it, it did pass, it was a whole arc, it was a whole story arc. Fear, and then fatigue. And then just misery and then just comedy. Because there just was, it was, the whole thing was so absurd that by the time I got to mile 20-ish, I thought, well, now I kind of just have to finish it. Now, here's the deal. And this is why it ties into fear. And this is why it ties into pressure. Self-imposed. Self-imposed. There's no, nobody was forcing me to do it. I really want to be clear about that. When I am an advocate, such a fierce advocate for putting your ass on the line every now and then, and I'm a small stepper, so I'm not saying type A, go-getter thing. I'm saying every now and then, test your metal, test your metal, but it's by choice. It has to be. It has to be by choice. You want to know why? Because the world is such that you don't ever have to really do this kinds of thing. You don't. It's not a matter of survival, except for that it is. And I don't mean survival like actual. I mean survival like living a good life. It's necessary if you want to live a good life. It's not necessary if you're trying to stay alive because you can just pick up your phone and dial Domino's and it'll come back and you know through your door and you don't have to do anything. 
and you can go in a car and you can take four steps into an elevator and take that up and then walk four steps to your office and you can do that too. It has to be a conscious choice. But I had a little extra pressure on me. And this was, and it was this. Two weeks before the start date, and I can feel it looming now. So it's not a miser- it's not a fun two weeks leading up because every time I'd be like, I'm in a kind of a go, oh, God, I got this damn thing coming up. The publisher called and they said, <clears throat> the editor actually, who did a f- great job. She goes, um, we're writing the copy for the back cover. <clears throat> she goes, how many how many ultras have you run? I said, well, the for- between the formal ones and the and the course, I run my own course, which freaking counts. Nine. I said, but I have the 10th coming up in a couple weeks, I said. She goes, oh. by the way, I'm enjoying a Zinfandel. Yeah, that's right. Am I a little hotty toddy? Sure. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit of a, a little bit of a fancy lad. Having a Zinfandel. She goes, <clears throat> okay, then we'll put 10 down. So, because nine, I done doing one in a couple weeks. I go, I go, yeah, fine, 10, great. The morning of the race, I think to myself, Holy shit, I have to actually finish like the otherwise the back cover and this is how I'm thinking I'm going, if I don't finish this race and the book comes out February sixth of twenty twenty four, when I, I don't know when you're listening to this, but not that far, just a few months, couple months, i then I the book's not true. Then the back of the book not true. Now, would it be the end of the world? No. And probably what I would have done is just run an ultra somehow, like with a friend crewing, just to kind of make sure that it's legit. But I had this intense pressure because I was like, oh shit, I have to fit. This is the 10th. So I had that going on. And I show up to the start line and I just thought the training is in place. Not so much the running training because it was there, but not, not significant, as I said. But the mindset training that I do, the stress management training that I do, this is the figurative battle where you go, well, I hope the training is there. And if it's not, then you go back to the drawing board and you go, let me readjust the training. That's life. How we Clients always want to know why they, you know, what, what do I do about this thing? I go, that's the battle. That's not, you, you're either in or you're at, you either do it or you don't do it. I mean, you either succeed or you don't. And so if you succeed, okay, cool, your training's probably in place. And if you don't, you adjust your training. It removes the good, bad, and all that kind of crap. But when you put yourself out here like this, and especially, and look, I'll be honest. I don't really like to talk about this, and you guys know this, but I've been 100% plant-based for 21 years. And again, it's self-imposed, but you, hopefully you guys understand, and I think most people who listen to me are probably aren't plant-based, and most people I teach aren't plant-based, and most of my clients aren't 100% plant-based. I'm going to try, it's not conversion therapy. I will say that if I hadn't finished there's there's a rumbling out there because I've been because this isn't my first rodeo. There's a oh we'll see, yeah see there's he and I'm trying to change minds. I'm trying to get people to take care of themselves better. That's my goal. And yes, through eating healthy food, which is whole plants. They can eat other stuff like I do, like Zinfandel. But then in general, the bulk of the calories from the whole plants, and that's the message there, at least in the nutrition realm. But it's you know stress management overall. <clears throat> but I know, I know that if I get sick. It's because I'm vegan. If my, you know, if I don't finish this race, it's because I'm vegan. It's, it's, it's there. It's, I, it's a hundreds and hundreds of times I've heard that my kids have trouble with anything. It's because they're vegan. And that's just the world it goes. So do I hold myself to a higher standard? Yes, I do. And again, totally by choice, but I can't discount the extra stress that that loads on my shoulders between that and the damn book cover that I've got to finish this race this day. And there's a leap of faith that's involved in these things, which is that, at, and it's, it's like an educated faith because it's, it's, I have trained. 
And it's all I have at the starting line. I go, well, I did this, I did this, I did this, and let's see how it goes. But the reason why I'm such a fierce advocate of these kinds of challenges is because everything comes out. Everything comes out. Everything that you're trying to push down is laid bare when you are putting yourself in a situation, you know, mile 27 of just fatigue like you've never known. And can you quit? Of course. Many people dropped. Many people dropped from the race. It was a real hard day. It was very humid. It wasn't particularly hot, but man, was it humid and it was weird and just lonely. And man, I do side note, I still love the sport of ultra running so much. And that's why I wrote the book, Ultra Running for Normal People. Why? Because I'm trying to get more people to try this thing because it's not a challenge in the way that a road marathon is or something like that. It is its own beast. And here's why I'm running the race. I'm feeling it pretty good. Now I would stop on occasion on Hills and do my Wim Hof breathing. I find that to be very helpful. I would pause and sort of do the breathing. Now the breathing is pretty like like that. And I would many runners who were, and by the way, these are like the runners that are in the lead of the hundred K they're whipping by me. Do you know how many of them stopped and go, dude, are you okay? I've got some food. Do you need some? Food? These are the people who are trying to get a, like a place they're like the elite runners, people that I have no interest in knowing and have no interest in relating to because I can't. But I also kind of go, damn, that's cool. But anyways, but whatever. But I, but it's just not me. So I go, they're stopping. Do you need anything? Do you need anything? I go, don't, don't stop. You keep going. I got this. The girl's like, you look like you're crashing. I was like, first of all, are you coming on to me? Because second of all, don't you? I don't need your snacks. You just keep on keeping on. That's what I said. I didn't. I said, thank you so much. I'm totally okay. But what a great sport. I mean, what a great, you're on trails, you're out in nature, beautiful lake, people stop by to see how you're doing. Is there anything negative about that? No, there's not. Even the fatigue, not negative. It's a challenge. But when you put yourself into these situations and whatever that form, look, I like ultra running, but whatever form that is, and I like ultra running, I'll tell you why, because it's what we do. Human beings are the best endurance runners in the world. It's what, it's our physiological design. We're upright. We don't have a lot. We, we've got the whole like upright thing so that the sun isn't on lots of our square footage. We sweat all these things. It's so good. We're gangly and weird. We're not stiff. We can, we have these like bendy limbs. We're total trail runners. It's what we do. Have we gotten away from that? Yes, yeah, slightly. But it's what we do. And so I kind of like it because it's a return to what is natural for us as a species. It's a return to this kind of like connection to each other and nature. It's not a a rah-rah sport. This is not. It could be eventually, but I don't know. I hope not. It's so cool. It's just got its own, you know, pants are falling down, at least mine. But there's a fear. And it's the fear of of uh, of what's coming. I'll be honest, I was a little bit terrified that morning because I came in feeling like kind of just not ready in a way. Just, I've been busy. And so I was like this, I kept saying, oh, the race was way off. And then all of a sudden it was approaching and I was like, oh, crap. Like this is going to be a brutal day. I knew that. I just didn't realize how brutal. But being out... Being out for 10 hours and 40 minutes, by have you ever, in, no, if you've never been with me for 10 hours and 40 minutes, it's not pleasant because you know how I know this was the first time I'd ever been with me for 10 minutes, 10 hours and 40 minutes. I'd never been with me for 10 hours and 40 minutes uninterrupted. It's not, there's a lot of chatter. There's a lot of random thoughts going through my brain that I had to listen to and go, what in God's name is happening right now? Talking about balloons and, and cotton candy and ping pong ball. I don't even know. It was just a whole cacophony of crazy. 
And then you just kind of come back to it and you have to pay attention because you're going to fall and you'd come back and then you drift off again and then you'd come back. And it just was this thing. But there was a distinct fear of the, of the conscious going into something that's going to be uncomfortable for sure. And then there's the fear of the failing at the thing. And it's a ball of fear. It's not, and I want to be clear, the fear of the thing is really about the discomfort. It's not inherently dangerous for most people. Ultra running is not inherently dangerous. People who drop, and I haven't yet, but I, I'm sure there's going to be a race where I'm just like, nope, you drop, you stop. It's not a thing. You stop at an aid station and they take you back to the start. It's not the end of the world. It's People drop at my race, not many, but they drop and they come back and they go, oh, great. And they have a beer and they go walking off. I've always said showing up to the starting line is 98% of the, of the, of the thing. So it's not, a, it's not, it's not dangerous. The limbic system lizard brain thing is sort of perceiving that to be that way. Like, oh my God, you're going to do this thing. You shouldn't do this thing. But the frontal cortex, free frontal cortex sort of knows the ball game. They're like, no, but it's not actually, this isn't a life threatening thing. Could you have a heart attack? I guess, but that's, you could have that in the car on the way there. You know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's not inherently dangerous, but we perceive it that way. And failure is like an internal assumption. It's like this fear. And I think it's best questioned. The, the nature of failure is such a major part of my life because, and my work rather, because even with, with healthy eating, even with stress management techniques, there's a, there's a, there's this assumption of, of, of a fear of failure there. There's a fear of, I, what if I don't do this well? What if I fail at this thing? And I think it's best questioned because again, this is going to sound a little bit trite, but is it a failure to attempt a feat to test our metal and not complete it or to not freaking try in the first place. And I know that's the thing on the posters, but there's some truth there. But what I think what is stopping most people and did for me for years, I think I've gotten pr- much better at it. I'll put it that way is fear. We don't try it because we're afraid that we're going to fail at it. And we have to understand that not trying in the first place is the failure, not making conscious decisions to put ourselves out there once in a while every day nope too much stress now and then yes how much up to you based on your life based on your circumstances based on your goals based on your whatever testing your metal in some capacity it's uncomfortable we have to be uncomfortable we have to make ourselves uncomfortable I knew that the day was going to be over regardless of how the day was going to be over. I was either going to drop or I was going to have a good race time or a long race time. And I did not care. Do you know that I did not? I, first of all, I don't wear a watch. I didn't even look at my phone until I had about a mile and a half left. And I went, oh, good Lord, it's four o'clock. I've been out here for 10 hours. I was like, oh, no, this is the longest day. I was not in last place, by the way, but I probably was pretty close. I mean, let's face it. At one age session, I was like, am I last? I was like, no, not by a long shot, but boy, there's some people out there. <laughs> and I just kind of kept on going. And it was like, I'll go until I don't can't go anymore. And I just went, drove home, fine, was sore for a few days. No problem. Not extra, not any more sore than I've ever been. And definitely, you know, climbing stairs up and down was, there's no doubt about it, holding on to the rails, something fierce. But then the next day, kind of without the rails. And the third day, I can kind of do it. And then the fourth day, I'm kind of running up the stairs a little bit, you know, and I haven't gone for a run, but I recovered pretty quick. The fear we feel about these kinds of things mostly comes from the fact that it's out of our comfort zone. That's the fear. It's out of our comfort zone. It's out of what we know. It's outside of what we know. 
Eating a new way is outside of what we know. Taking on exercise is outside of what we know. Starting to meditate is outside of what we know. Having a conversation with somebody to clear the air is outside of what we know and feel comfortable about. But time and time again in my work on my own life and in with clients, I'm confronted by this truth that when we step out of our comfort zone consciously, we are better for it. We learn from ourselves. We may fail when we step outside. Sometimes technically quote unquote fail because we don't achieve the thing that we set out to achieve, but it's never a failure. It's never a failure. We can see it that way. We can say, I fail. I'm horrible. Or we can go, damn, I tried that. How the, that's amazing that I tried that. But I think objectively it's never a failure. It's never a fail. You can fail at finishing the race, but the experience is always a success. The problem is that it's stepping outside of our comfort zone. And here's the problem. The problem is that for most of us in the modern world, with the advent of technology and with the constant, you know, moving forward of technology and social media, our comfort zone that we're trying to step out of is getting wider and wider with each passing day. That's our challenge is that the comfort zone is just becoming all encompassing. And it's just taking it. It's so hard for us to get to the point where we can even step a a foot outside of it. We have to identify the comfort zone and to live a good life. It is going to mean on some level getting outside that from time to time. We have got to consciously push ourselves in order to live a good life. It's just one of these truths that we can, we spend all this stress trying to make it not so, but it's so. Myself down, and then I, 
Yeah.